Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the Kingdom of God. This is episode 57 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and because this coming Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, uh, Easter, uh, I want to talk uh, a little bit about the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to I want to start by uh, asking you to close your eyes for a minute, um, unless you're driving, of course. Don't close your eyes if you're driving; that would be bad. Um, but close your eyes for a second if you can, and just try to put yourself uh, into the story uh, that I'm about to tell. The year is 33 A.D. You're in the city of Jerusalem, and you're one of the disciples of Jesus the one you and the rest of the disciples call the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, Lord. You think every one of those terms fit. For three years now, you've been following Jesus around the countryside. You've left everything to follow him. And oh, what a ride it's been. You've seen him heal lepers. You've seen him give sight to the blind. You saw him one time make a man walk who hadn't walked in 38 years. You've seen him calm storms. And one time he even walked on water. And oh, to listen to him speak. It's not just some preacher spouting platitudes and giving commands and making people feel guilty. No, after Jesus speaks, people feel better. They feel hopeful. It's as though God himself is speaking. You've watched those religious leaders try to slander him and and trip him up and catch him in some kind of trap. But every time, Jesus has seen through their schemes and very calmly has said something that just confounded them, sent them home scratching their heads. You've never seen anyone with such wisdom or such love or such power. And no one, I mean no one, cares about people more than Jesus. He's never too busy to talk to a child or, or touch a leper, for goodness sake, or visit with a woman who is so tarnished that she has, she has to come to draw water during the middle of the day just to avoid, avoid the glares of the decent women in town. No, there's something different about Jesus. This is the pers- first person you've ever met that you would follow anywhere And that's exactly what you've committed to do. Follow him anywhere. But now he's dead. You've given three years to his cause, but but more than that, you've given your life to him. And now everything seems to be crumbling around you. The one you thought could handle anything the one who could heal the sick and restore sight to the blind and walk on water and raise the dead is now himself dead. And the despair is coming over you in waves. Even three days after his death, all you can do is cry. But that is not the end of this story. And what's about to happen won't just change your life. And it won't just change Israel's problem with the Romans. It'll change the world forever. 
Because God is at last about to step in and begin to put right everything that is wrong about everything in the world. To make everything new. And you get to be part of that. So let's go back to the upper room for a minute. While you're sitting there, weeping and mourning, when you're sure that life as you know it is over, the door bursts open. It's Mary Magdalene. She has just been to the tomb. She'd gone there with Jesus' mother to anoint the body of Jesus. They didn't have time to do it Friday night because the Sabbath was about to start. But Mary bursts in and says that the body of Jesus is gone. Well, you get up immediately and run and take off for the tomb. You've got to see this for yourself. You run the whole way, you and one of the other disciples, and sure enough, he's not there. The stone is rolled away and the, the tomb is empty. Mary tells you later that she saw an angel there at the tomb who told her that Jesus has risen from the dead. Why do you seek the living among the dead, he'd said. So this coming Sunday, throughout the world, Christians will celebrate what we have come to know as Easter. And it's an event that centers around the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But most of us, I think, don't really understand the significance of that event. But the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead stands as Christianity's most remarkable and important event. It, it, in one act, Christianity is transformed from a nice idea to a, to a powerful, life-giving, world-changing revolution. The resurrection is what gives Christianity its power and its hope. And the resurrection is significant because it means that God is finally undoing the effects of the fall of man, taking back the world from the dark powers who control it and engaging in what the Bible sees as the work of new creation. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today, how the resurrection has changed the world in which, which we lived, how it, how it gives us new meaning, how it gives us new purpose, and how it gives us new life. And as we get into that, I'm going to have a cup of coffee. It's, uh, it's raining here uh, in Middle Tennessee, so you can probably hear the, the thunder and maybe the rainfall through the microphone. Can't do anything about that. It is what it is. So Jesus' resurrection is the definitive sign of God's new creation, that God is making everything new and fixing everything that we know to be broken in the world. Now, part of our struggle in grappling with the idea of new creation is that in most of our church traditions, as we think about Jesus and his death on the cross and, and his resurrection and, and, and what all that means, we are, we are pretty thoroughly invested in the idea that Christianity has its trajectory as um, getting us through life to the point that we can go to heaven when we die. And, and we've talked a, a little bit about this in some past episodes. Um, someday here I'm going to do a whole episode about 
what happens after we die. But but that's not today. Um, but we but we really do have um, a mostly pagan notion that this earth is is just kind of worthless. That it's all going to get destroyed in the end. We're going to be whisked away to a place we call heaven. And it's not it's not that all of that is totally wrong, um, right? You heard me say something like this last week. There's a lot of things in Christianity that we we believe that are partially true. Um, and one of the things I'm I'm trying to do in this podcast is, is sort of address some of those things that that we believe that are partially true but not completely that kind of get us going off in the wrong direction theologically. And because we get off in the wrong direction theologically, we often get off in the wrong direction in the way we live our lives and how we understand our purpose in the world. Um, the, the thing is, Scripture tells a different story about this than the one that we often tell. And both the Jews and the earliest Christians did not believe what we have come to believe about going to heaven when we die. And the the answer and antidote to that is, uh, of course, a more careful reading of Scripture. And what we find is that Jesus is actually coming back not to scoop us all up and take us off to heaven, but he's coming back to transform the present world into the place that he wants it to be, the place he's always wanted it to be, and to transform us as well into the people that he wants us to be. And the, and the classic passage that we've often misread uh, where we kind of see this, and there are lots of other places in Scripture that bear this out, is Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 where Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So notice a couple of things there about that passage. Like You know that passage probably if you're a Christian. He says that our citizenship is in heaven. He doesn't say it will be in heaven, okay? And he says that when Jesus returns from there, from heaven, he's going to change our physical bodies into one like his. And his point is that while we live here, we are agents and representatives of heaven while we wait for Jesus to come back. Now, let's, let's talk about heaven uh, for a minute, um, because I think we've misunderstood heaven also. Um, the, the best way to understand heaven is not this place up there in the sky where we go when we die. Heaven is, is best understood as the realm of God. It is, it is God's space. Earth is our space. But... From the very beginning of creation, you will notice, if you pay attention to it, that those two spheres, God's space and our space, were always meant to coexist and, and in a very real sense, to interlock with one another. 
And we see that in the biblical story in a, in a number of places. For instance, in Genesis 3.8, we see that God is there in the garden walking in the cool of the evening breeze with Adam and Eve. Like he is there with them, right? God's space and the space of humans is somehow overlapping there. Um, we talked about a few weeks ago, we, we talked about how God's temple in Israel, the tabernacle in the wilderness and later the temple, is the place where heaven comes to earth and where the God of creation chooses to live in the midst of his people. In the Gospels, Jesus, in, in John chapter 2, verses 16 through 21, Jesus will refer to himself as the new temple, um, the, the, the new place where heaven and earth are going are, are gonna to interact, where heaven is going to meet earth. Jesus walking around amidst the rest of us in, on earth, heaven has come to earth, right? Paul will say, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, and several other places, he will say that as Christians, we, followers of Jesus, we live here as a kingdom of priests mediating heaven and earth before the world, and we now become the temple of the living God whose spirit now lives within us. And also at the ascension of Jesus, Jesus' own renewed human body ascends to heaven. Again, all these, all these passages, all these places show clearly God's space and our space inter interacting over, overlapping with each other. And in the very last scene in the whole Bible, Revelation 21, 1 through 3, we, we don't see a picture of a, a bunch of disembodied souls evacuating a scorched earth and going to, to heaven to live with God forever. But instead, we see a new heaven and a new earth with, with the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And we're told that God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. That has always been God's plan, to live on the created earth with his people. The point is that God's intended heaven and earth um, he intended it not to be two separate, isolated realms, but to coexist and interlock. And his ultimate plan is not for us to go to heaven, but for heaven to come to us in this new creation. And the resurrection is the start of that new creation, of God once and for all setting right all the things that have gone so horribly wrong in his good creation. Now, the Gospel of John gives us some clues to this, um, maybe more than some of the other Gospel writers, but, but they all kind of get it. Luke really gets it. Um, John starts out his Gospel, and we read this, and we, we don't, I think, understand John's point. John starts his Gospel, as you remember, John 1.1, with the same exact words that the book of Genesis starts with. In the beginning. Now, 
when you read that, you're supposed to, to remember the book of Genesis. John is, John is if, if nothing else, John is intentional about everything he, do, he does. He is a careful writer. And there's, there's all sorts of neat nuance and double meanings and all kinds of stuff in John's gospel um, that, you, that you don't see as much of in the other gospel accounts. Um, but he starts his gospel with the words, in the beginning. And you're supposed to, 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 to realize that John is doing something very similar to what the book of Genesis is doing. He's making the point that just as Genesis is about creation, the gospel of Jesus is about new creation. In chapter 20 of John's gospel, he is, he is very careful to tell us twice in chapter 20 that the resurrection happened on the first day of the week. Now, John's not just talking about the calendar here, okay? He's, he's not just telling us what day of the week this happened so that we can keep track of it. Um, he's not just talking about Sunday. For John, this is his way of saying, not just this is the first day of the week, but this is the first day of, the, of a whole new world, okay? That, that's, that's clear. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says that Jesus is the beginning. He's the beginning of things. He says he's the firstborn from the dead. And the point of all this is that with Jesus, everything is starting all over again. It is God's long-awaited great reset. The creator has now become the recreator. And we see that really clearly in the resurrection, in the resurrected body of Jesus. Because Jesus is raised not with exactly the same human body that he had before his death. One that could be, and was, battered and bruised and nailed to a cross and killed. He's got a new body now. Still a lot, of light, a lot like the old body. We're going to see that it, it still has the scars from the crucifixion. But it's new. It's restored. It's incorruptible. But it's still very human. And again, at his ascension, this new, incorruptible, but still very human body will enter heaven the realm of heaven and the realm of earth overlapping. And because that's all true, in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, one of the most beautiful pieces of literature in all of Scripture, Paul will tell us about God's plan for the renewal of creation. And, and we're not going to read all that here, but go read that, Romans 8, 18 through 30. Paul says that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. See, God, God intends for the rescue and renewal of creation, not, not just us. He, he's not coming to just tear apart creation and take us because he's the only thing we really care about. Did you ever think about this? God took a lot of time and effort to create this world. 
Doesn't it seem a little silly that he's just going to burn it all up in the end? Like the creation is the problem? No, it's not the problem. God intends to to recreate it, to make it what he intended it to be all along. And and this is important. He intends to, to rescue and recreate, renew the creation, not to just abandon it. And there, there really are a lot of passages, Old Testament and New, that lay out the, the Jewish and early Christian expectation of this new creation. Uh, you can look at Isaiah chapters 55 and sorry, Isaiah chapter 65 and 66. Uh, you, can, you can look at Matthew 19 verse 28, you can look at Acts 3:21, a bunch of other places. But Jesus' resurrection shows us something about what that recreation looks like. And it provides us with the promise that it has already begun and that ultimately it will be completed. So if the resurrection is the start of the new creation, What's our role in all this? Well, we become resurrection people, living at the place where heaven and earth intersect and bringing God's kingdom rule to earth as it is in heaven. Sorry, I need more coffee. Um... When we realize and celebrate what happened in the resurrection, that it really is the start of something new, and that Jesus is already reigning as as king of the world. You know, interestingly, um, I don't know if you thought of this, in the the first part of the Gospels, when when Jesus is tempted by the devil, um, Satan takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and, and Satan says to Jesus, I can give you all this because all this has been given to me. This is my, I have authority over all the kingdoms of the earth, Satan claims. We read that and sometimes we think, well, Satan is just a liar, but it doesn't, there's no indication in Jesus' response to him that Jesus thought he was a liar. Okay? At the beginning of the gospel accounts, Satan claims to have authority over all the kingdoms of the earth. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, after his crucifixion and resurrection, the resurrected Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Something happened between Satan's claim of having all authority in heaven and earth and Jesus' claim post-resurrection that now he has all authority in heaven and earth. What happened? The crucifixion and the resurrection. The overthrow of the dark powers of this world. The overthrow of Satan himself. Okay. When we believe 
and, and realize and celebrate that Jesus is already reigning as king of the world, we can start to live in, in ways that show genuine signs of new life. So it, it's, it's springtime here in, in Middle Tennessee, where I live. The flowers are starting to crop up. I can look out uh, my window right now as I'm talking, and, and in the midst of the rain, I see daffodils blooming, bunches of them. I didn't plant them. They were here when we, when we bought the place. Our, our trees are starting to show forth leaves and flowers. It's, it's beautiful. Everything is, new growth is popping out. New life is coming to, to bear. The whole of, of creation that I can see is beautiful and full of life. Our lives as Christians ought to look like that, like spring, sprouting up new life in ways that beautify our world. And we do that, for instance, by living out the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Living on earth today as if the kingdom of God were fully and completely manifest, not just something that's begun. We, we model the new creation in the way that we live our lives in the world, the kingdom of God, in the power of the Spirit, in, in every facet of our lives. And as we do that, there are, there are several, I, I think, key signposts of the kingdom that, that, we should, that we should point out and talk about, that we should realize that these things need to come to the front of things in the way that we interact with the world as God's representatives. And there's, there's all kinds of spin-offs of, the, of these things for the, for the life of the church and, and, and its work, not only in the future, but in the here and now. So a couple of those signposts are unity and holiness. Two things that are, that are unbelievably challenging still for most churches. And I'll just say, we, we need to do a better job in the area of unity. Most churches are, are still hopelessly sequestered from other churches. We fight and fuss amongst ourselves more than any people on earth. And yet we're the people of God. And for the people of God, people who should be shining beacons of light in our ability to get along with each other, we are often hopelessly deficient. And that's, that's one of the things the world sees when they look at us that makes Christians so distasteful to so many people. The way we fight and argue and fuss and and I I'm as bad about that as anybody. It's one of the things I hate about myself. And it makes me think that we really haven't understood Jesus at all. In Ephesians 5, Paul points out one place, a very simple place, where unity and, and holiness really ought to be the most visible. In Christian marriages, our, our marriages should be visible reflections of the, of the original creation that is now renewed in Jesus. The way we love, 
the way we care for one another, the way that we lift each other up, the way that we that we submit to one another, seeking one another's good at the expense of our own, right? That's new creation stuff, and we ought to see it there. You know, maybe you can't get along with everybody in the world, but, but boy, we ought to be able to show that with the one other person in our lives that matters the most to us. We can also live out the values of the kingdom, and we need, we need to live out the values of the kingdom in our world today in the areas of justice and peace. And remember, justice is not always what the world has made it out to be. I like to think of, of justice as the idea of rightness. In the kingdom of God, we become rightness agents in the world. You know, how many times do you, do you look around? Because I find myself doing this all the time. You look around at, at, the, at the world in which we live, at, at, at your town, your school, your government, your job. And you think, in so many areas, you think, oh, gosh, that's just not right that that happens that way. And you're, you're probably right that that's not right. There's a lot that's not right with our world. We, we, we don't do justice right. We don't do business right. We run over people. We put money and profit ahead of love and care. And where are the people of God? The people who should be living the new creation values of justice, rightness, and peace in our world. See, the, the world ought to see justice and peace in us more than anywhere else in the world. And that is new creation stuff. It is a core value of the new creation. And the resurrection of Jesus puts all that in motion. One more thing. The new creation work started with the resurrection of Jesus calls us once again, once again, to the wise, benevolent stewardship of creation. And I'm talking about the planet, folks. I'm talking about creation care. And I'm not just some wild-haired um, environmentalist here. I'm a, I'm a servant of Jesus who cares about this creation. The earth, the forests, the rivers, the lakes, the streams, the animals, the plants. Remember in the garden, the job that God gave Adam and Eve? To, to, to rule over creation. And, and rule, we talked about, means being a benevolent steward of God's good creation. The resurrection and the new creation work Jesus is, is engaged in, and we're to be engaged in, calls us in part to do that same recreation work that Adam and Eve were called to do in the original creation, to tend and care for God's creation in, in a wise, benevolent way. We ought to care what happens to the planet. And that doesn't mean we got to get all wrapped up in all the, all the political 
junk that attempts to manipulate and, and, and twist creation care into some political ideal. I think there's a lot of unholiness in the way a lot of that goes. And it, it is what ha- it's what happens all the time when people who are not God's people try to get the benefits of the gospel without any allegiance to, to, to the king of the universe. The, the things become twisted and they end up accomplishing not what they're supposed to accomplish. Like, you only get this one way. I'm convicted of that. You may not be, but I am. And it starts with allegiance to, to, to the king of the universe. And then we find that he really does care about justice. He cares about the environment and the care of the planet. But it looks different than the way all this tries to come about in, in, the, in, the, in the ungodly, often, political realm. We got to care about the things God cares about, and to think that God doesn't care about the planet is a mistake. Well, because of Jesus' resurrection, we become resurrection people—people people who, whose whose hearts have been renewed, whose minds have been enlightened by the gospel, so that we not only believe in Jesus' resurrection and in His victory over the dark powers on the cross but that we become both signs and agents of the, new, of the new life which will one day flood all of the rest of creation. Now, it hasn't happened all at once, of course. We, we wish it had, and it, it's sometimes hard to talk about this because we talk about this and we look around and we still see signs of brokenness and hurt and decay and corruption and the truth is we're still living between the times. The kingdom has come. And it is bearing fruit of healing and justice and mercy and love and redemption and peace throughout God's good world. But the work's not finished yet. And God's work of creation and renewal just aren't going to be complete until Jesus comes back to finish it. And that will happen. And that it will happen is a certainty. And the way we know that is because Jesus walked out of that tomb by the power of God. And we celebrate the beginning of that renewal that has already begun to show itself in our time. The forgiveness and renewal and hope that he offers us and through us offers the rest of the world those things are real the ability to walk through life with a clear conscience is real too by the way N.T. Wright who has been a, a, a mentor to me through his writings says that God will eventually do for the whole creation at last what he did for Jesus at his resurrection, taking a bruised, horribly abused, physical creation, his body, and the world, and rescuing and restoring it so that it wasn't just exactly the same as it was before, but was renewed so that now it is beyond the reach of corruption and decay altogether. 
Folks, the resurrection is more than a doctrine. Paul says in Romans 1 verse 4 that Jesus, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So that with the resurrection of Christ, a new day has dawned among men. Carl Rahner, in his uh, book, Rainer Rahner, I don't know how you say his name, in his book, Everyday Faith, says that Easter is not the celebration of a past event. The Alleluia is not for what was. Easter proclaims a beginning that has already decided the remotest future. The resurrection means that the beginning of glory has already started. And that means that God's good world, spoiled by hostile and destructive forces, is now going to be remade. And it started when Jesus walked out of that tomb. And that is why Christianity is the best thing on the market. Because evil and darkness and despair that are all too familiar to us do not have the last word. The last word is resurrection. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. As always, we'd appreciate it if you tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you go to get your podcast. Please visit us on our Facebook page for the Jesus Society podcast. And as we continue to try and grow our audience, we're, we're loading all of the episodes of the podcast onto YouTube and Odyssey. Um, we're loading on YouTube um, one every day until we get them all done. Um, if you search for the Jesus Society podcast on either of those platforms, YouTube or Odyssey, you'll find us. If you'd like to support us and the show and our related ministry here in Middle Tennessee, we've added a Patreon page and I'll put the link in the show notes there. Thank you for listening, and remember you are greatly loved.